What is up? I'm Sonny Carton. It's 2.06 on a beautiful Saturday, and you're here watching Snacks and Sunny on U Stadium. Be sure to like and follow on social media platforms. But today, you see, it is not Snacks sitting next to me. It is the man Frankie himself. How you doing, Frankie? What is going on, my dude? Everything's good, man. You have the uh, the better defensive lineman on the show today, so... Not sure about that. And <laughs> Not sure about that. I think he could take us both still today. Yeah, 100%. 100%. He would take us both, man. I don't yeah. know. You'd have to go for his legs. I go for the top, you know, and then you yeah. take him out. Yeah, go some, for his knees. He's got some, old, old man knees. Yeah, some tag team combo for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get right into it. Uh, I want to start off with the Rams because this is a team that started off so strong into the year. But I want to be clear about their beginning to the season that looked incredible and I just want to make some comments about it because they started seven and one through eight games. But if you look at those eight games, they played the Bears, they played the Colts, the Buccaneers, the Cardinals, Seattle, the Giants, Detroit, and Houston. So what that's like three good teams out of the eight. So everyone was going crazy about the Rams, but they really weren't that good at the beginning. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I'll be honest, uh, three or four weeks ago, I had them as the favorites, the Super Bowl favorites. I mean, I thought that they just came out and they were connecting on all cylinders. They were playing good defense. McVay seemed to get those guys all prepared. Stafford was the first half MVP. Um, and I don't know what happened. I don't know. I think they lost some of their luster. They started playing some tougher teams. But um i think they they're not battle tested yet and now they are so we'll see how they're going to react over the next two or three weeks but um i think they kind of needed this to kind of build um throughout the year they were that that pace they were on the first half of the season i mean let's be honest that wasn't realistic um so we'll see what happens but um i think we'll find out who the rams really are over the next you know two weeks or so we'll see how they how they play yeah, and to their credit, they still have to find a way to work uh, without Robert Woods, who obviously, yeah. as good as Cooper Cup had been, we've seen a lot of situations actually where one guy's putting up stats, but a lot of the time it's because the defense is focused on another guy on the team. And I think that's what Robert Woods was to Cooper Cup throughout the beginning of the season. So now obviously bringing in Odell to try to replace Robert Woods in that role, and they've been trying to make that work. But that's something that's going to take time. You can't expect to bring in a talent in like Odell and have it click right away. That's something that they're going to have to get used to. Robert Woods have been playing in that system alongside Cooper Cup for, what, four years now, almost five years? So when you, you, when you take a guy out like that who is so reliable, it's hard to replace him. So that being said, this is a theme we're seeing with Odell now where quarterbacks seem to struggle not only getting him the ball, but just to run an offense when he's on the field. Do you think Odell's a curse to a team? Absolutely, he's a curse. I'll say this. I'll go as so far as this. Odell Beckham is the most overrated offensive player of my lifetime. I will say that. I don't see it. I don't see his game where it used to be. I think people still consider him this uh, this this home run threat at, at wide out he's just not anymore when's the last time you've seen odell take over a game he hasn't won a playoff game in his career last time he went to the playoffs was 2016 every single team he goes on gets worse every single team every quarterback he plays with now it's not to say that odell beckham's a bad wide receiver he's not but if you're gonna make him your number one wide receiver with the amount of attention he wants on and off the field um you're really putting your team in his hands, and it's 
you know, last I'll really say is in in team sports, the locker room, the um, the presence you have off the field that matters in terms of winning when it comes to um, we have some background noise here, by the way. I don't know if that's uh, is that is that sunny. Yeah, that might, that that's on Sonny's end. Um, no, it's all good. But yeah, what I was basically going to say is, you know, when you have a team sport and players in the locker room are demanding that they want the ball, they want all the attention. What do you think that does to the vibe of the team? I think a lot of things that Odell brings outside of, of football don't really con- aren't conducive to winning. And I think the more we start to look into that and, and, and bring it in a good, you know, quality locker room guy that matters in terms of winning look at what shannon sharp did i mean i know i'm bringing up shannon sharp because splash is 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 a big ravens fan you bring shannon sharp to the ravens man that locker room just gets so lit and so much fun and and so positive everyone's about the team and winning and the vibe is there people want to win and you see that they won with 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 shannon sharp going to the going to the ravens there's a lot of examples i bring that up because we were talking about him earlier but it's just something where the vibe matters. And I think a lot of times people don't look into that. And I think it's evident with Odell. Yeah. I mean, how I respond to that. And I want to make this clear. Nothing you said specifically, I can necessarily retort. Quarterbacks have started to look worse when he joins the team. He has been, he has had issues in the locker room in the past that are reported, at least by the media. When we talked to snacks on this show, he said that Odell was awesome in the locker room and that he had no problems from that point. But I, I can't deny the fact that it's clear that there are some locker room problems that exist, whether or not from the guys Odell talk, talks to in the locker room or other guys on the team, those problems exist. But what you're saying is not wrong. He has not had a playoff success. He has not shown outside of those first four years of his career that he can be the guy that people were projecting him to be. I mean, let's not forget, this man was being compared to Jerry Rice in terms of how he started his career, and probably rightfully so. And that's the one area where I'd ask you to be careful is that I don't think anyone is claiming that Odell is the Odell of the past. That was a guy who like literally unanimously would have made it to the Hall of Fame if he had continued on that track. But I don't think we can go as far as to say that Odell cannot be a valuable weapon in today's NFL, especially with the quarterback talent of Matthew Stafford lined up next to Cooper Cup and whoever else they have out there. So I think I would love to have Odell on my team, and I think that we will see in these next few games, as Nick said, that that was just a red-hot Niners team they were playing. They have to figure out how to get Odell involved, and the Rams will be a fine team, and there is no Odell curse. I'll say this, though. Getting a wide receiver like Odell, you're really uh, rolling the dice there because, in my opinion, I don't think a wide receiver is is going to win you a Super Bowl. I mean, look at history. Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Calvin Johnson, zero Super Bowl wins. Uh, what, two Super Bowl appearances? Um, Terrell went to one and Randy. So I don't think, you know, stacking up, you know, your wideouts aren't going to make you a better football team. You know, it's a team game. It's uh, it's about running the football when it's when it's cold late in the year. It's about playing defense. It's about getting a big third down stop in a crucial situation. Having a diva wide receiver that can take uh, a slant for 60 yards, which apparently Odell really can't even do anymore. I mean, I, I don't remember the last time I saw Odell do what he was doing in, in, in New York where he's taking these slants for 60. I think he slowed down a bit with that ankle injury, that foot injury. I think that little half step he doesn't have. And that's the difference in football. We've talked about this on, on, on previous shows between making a tackle and not it's, it's, it's a half inch. I mean, it's literally grab, you know, you're grabbing cloth or you're not. So 
uh, Odell doesn't have that speed uh, that he used to, that explosiveness. I, I don't see it like it used to be. He still has it, but not to that nth degree. And I just don't think getting wide receivers really helps you win a Super Bowl. I, I just I, I just don't see it. So I think you're, you're throwing a lot there with Odell. Getting a guy who has injury uh, you know, concerns, maybe not the same locker room, potentially locker room issues. And, uh, and you're just, you're just mixing things together that what's, what's the point? What was the point of the Rams getting Odell? Um, now you were talking about Robert Woods. Yeah, it actually worked out, I guess, because Robert Woods got hurt the exact same day they signed him. The Rams apparently didn't even know that. So it was, you know, a pretty well-timed move, but, Robert Woods's game, for example, he's a deep middle kind of receiver that opens it up for Cooper underneath. Odell's kind of an underneath guy also to to a certain degree. I mean, he likes to take the top off once in a while, but he's more of an underneath kind of receiver, smaller-esque. So I don't know. I didn't really see the mix, the, the mix with him and Cup work. You know, it didn't really feel like it would work out, but we'll see. I mean, they're playing Jacksonville right on Sunday, so um, – uh, they, they should tomorrow. They they should stomp the brakes off of them. We'll see what they do tomorrow. I mean, listen, Odell just in that game, five receptions, eighty-one yards, and a touchdown. Clearly, they're starting to figure out a little bit more than they did in the first game, and we'll see what we get from him later on in the year. Maybe we'll get a little decision in this argument back and forth. But there's nothing that can really be decided now because I, I agree with you. The the move from them came obviously they didn't know the Robert Woods injury was coming, so so I can't say that they made that move because of Robert Woods. So we'll see if stacking the deck with receivers does really elevate your offense to an elite. See, exactly. They need three quality receivers, and Odell did fit. One of those, Why do you need three quality receivers? In today's, in today's football? You don't need it. 100% you need it. Name the, 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 p- Pats don't have three quality receivers. The Ravens don't have three quality receivers. The 49 – maybe the 49ers do if you count Kittle. The wait. 49ers actually do. Now they do. Let's be but, fair. We're saying quality receivers. We're not saying elite. We are saying three receivers that if you throw them a slant, you feel comfortable. The Patriots certainly have that on their roster this year. Whether or not you want to count tight ends in the mix, but they, they have three receiving targets that they can go to. So you're, let's just let's throw something out there. You're building a team. You're building an offense. You're investing how much in the wide receiver department versus the offensive line or the running back department. I mean, how are you kind of looking at that? Quarterbacks aside, obviously we're all – going to invest in quarterback first and foremost but how, how would you rank that hierarchy because to me it's offensive line you know at the top tippy top then it, it might even be running back like I, I want a running back I, I just do I like having a good quality running back I think it, it, it just helps make the, it makes the game easier for everyone else then I may go tight end and then I might go wide receiver I think to me wide receivers not as important as people think but um I'm also a Jets fan. I haven't seen a good wide receiver, what, since Brandon Marshall, so what the hell do I know? But, you know, it's like, I don't know. I just feel like you don't need three great wide receivers to to win. I I just – You're not necessarily wrong, but this isn't fantasy football. Receivers are definitely more valuable than running backs for a few reasons. Now, also, I'm I'm glad that Splash mentioned this, is that the McVay offense runs heavy 11 personnel. We saw what they did to Todd Gurley in those three years. This, that, this specific Rams team is such an interesting conversation when we talk about receivers, and it's interesting really when you talk about any team, because it matters how they're using those players. It doesn't matter if a team has three receivers if they're only going to line up with one out wide and two tight ends. That being said, I think having receivers elevate your team because of this reason only. Yes, having a good running back can take the pressure off your quarterback, 
But if you have receivers out on the field that are not only getting open consistently, but making plays in traffic, that does so much to help out a young quarterback like we see on the Jets and Zach Wilson. Like we see pretty much with most teams around the league that have young quarterbacks, having guys that can go up and get the ball are lifesavers. Terry McLaurin has made about five different quarterbacks on Washington over the past three years look serviceable for that exact reason. Yeah, I do agree with young quarterbacks. You definitely want to get them help on the outside. So I agree with you there. Where I tend to maybe disagree is someone like Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford's played with maybe one of the best wide receivers we've ever seen, Calvin Johnson. I mean, they didn't do, they didn't win anything there, you know? And they they tried to get him Marvin Jones and some other pieces. They forgot to build the offensive line. They forgot to really invest in a running back. They were shuffling running backs in Detroit. It, they've been shuffling running backs since freaking Barry Sanders there. They don't even, you know. So I think I think if you want to win in today's game, I do agree. A young quarterback absolutely needs some some help on the outside or else they're really going to struggle because you're going to have to put the ball in tight spots. And if your receivers aren't getting open and can't catch the ball in tight spots, then your quarterback's going to lose all confidence. So I agree, absolutely. But I think with the Rams specifically, Odell Beckham, to, in my opinion, just it did not make any sense. From the first moment that I saw the signing – to, to right now, and, and including when Woods got hurt the day it happened, like the timing for them worked out perfectly, I still don't think it made sense. I would have invested – I would have called more plays for Daryl Henderson. I would maybe try to get some tight ends involved, maybe bring in another tight end. I just don't think you needed to bring Odell, but, I mean, we'll see. I think um, we'll, we'll see how they play tomorrow, and we'll see the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, once again, I don't think you can ever blame a team for stacking up on talent. And as we know, Odell, whether it was a buyout, I forget, or whether I think he just got cut and waived, they got him on a one and a one point one and a quarter mil contract for a year. That is the definition of low risk contract, and that's the one reason I disagree with you about the Odell is because take everything you're saying about his inconsistencies, about his potential locker room problems. Fine, I'll even leave you with that. But what does it hurt you if you sign a guy for one year, a million and a quarter, and don't even play him? Like, there's no downside to not bringing in a guy who not only has the past pedigree, but also clearly does still have some level of talent in this league. And I just don't know why you wouldn't bring a guy like that into the offense. But I feel like we both said our piece. None of us really changed our minds. So let's move on to something that's also happening this week that's going to be a big game that could potentially have some outlook into later down in the season and maybe even the playoffs. Who do you like in a Patriots-Bills matchup? I like the Bills. I, 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 I'm a New Yorker. I'm going to say the Bills. You think I'm going to say the Pats, man? I'm a New Yorker. I'm a Jets fan. I'm not going to give the Pats one, one ounce of credit. They've been getting lucky all year. They're going to go on a three-game losing streak. This whole love fest with Mac Jones and Belichick, save it for later. I don't buy it. Most overrated team in football right now. No, I'm, I'm I'm exaggerating a bit, but no, I like the Bills. I um, I mean, my two top teams in the AFC in no particular order are the Bills and the Ravens. I just like them both. Um, I don't I don't believe in the Pats. So, um, if the Pats beat the Bills, I will come on the show next week, assuming snacks Damon's not on, and I will apologize to my Patriots people out there. But um, I don't believe in the Patriots. I'm I believe in the Bills. And I believe that uh, they'll win tomorrow. What time's the game tomorrow? Is it four thirty? Um, did they did they slate it out later or they whatever? They better have. Yeah, there's no way that's a one o'clock game. What Pats no Bills? No chance. 
Oh, it's Monday Night Football. There yep, Monday Night nice. Football. Right. Yep. Sweet prime time. Let's do it. Um, All right. Yeah, I like uh, I like the Bills. They're home. Um, and listen, the, the the Patriots, the way they play offense and the way they 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 structure their team, they don't make mistakes. So they will not turn the ball over. They have very high percentage passes. Um, uh, their offensive coordinator knows exactly what he's doing. He's been in the league forever. I don't believe though that that is good enough to get you to the Super Bowl this year, get you to the championship game. I don't see it. You have to do a little bit more. You can't just have Mac Jones dumping, you know, four-yard crossing patterns all game, running in with Damian Harrison, who Damian Harris, excuse me, who's a very good uh, running back, by the way. I just don't think it's going to work. I just think you're going to get a team like the Bills with Stephon Diggs out there and some weapons and Josh Allen, and they're going to blow the doors off them. I, I don't buy the Pats, so, yeah. Listen, if it was any <laughs> other team in the league, I would be with you. But this is Bill Belichick we are talking about. This is the man who did win Super Bowls throwing checkdowns only with the greatest quarterback <laughs> of all time. This is a man who has come back from things we never saw him do before. And that is why, especially against Josh Allen and the Bills, who in five games against the Pats averages like a touchdown, a pick, 200 yards per game on 56 completion percentage, which to his credit, a lot of those came when he was a young quarterback going against them, obviously in the same division twice a year. That, and his last matchup, he cooked them. But I think Bill Belichick has Josh Allen's number. I don't see them being able to beat the Pats consistently. And that's why I think that if this matchup came down later in the season, I'd also like the Pats. Now, I'm not going to go out here and say that the Pats are one of the better teams in the entire league. I don't think that they have the chance to beat some of the better teams. I don't see the Bills as highly as you see them. I, don't, I think they would struggle against the Buccaneers, obviously Brady against the Chiefs, other teams that have shown more success without Tom Brady on their roster. But I think against this Bills team, the Patriots should win easily. All right, really quick. Let's go through the games the Pats have won and games they've lost. Let's start with... Um... Let's start with their most recent game. So they beat the Titans, a, a down, uh, you know, a, a, a riddle, an injury, you know, riddled team. The Titans were, were down for the count. So nice win. I'm not going crazy over it. Then they beat the Falcons. Falcons are not anything good this year. Let's be honest. They beat the Browns at home, which was probably their most impressive win in beat my opinion. Beat the breaks off the Browns at home. They did. That was, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll say that was a great game. Absolutely. But then they beat the they beat the Panthers, the Chargers, and the Jets. The three games before that, so they're on actually a, a, a roll right now. The Pats are on on a one, two, three, four, six, five, yeah. yeah, six game winning streak. But then look at the games before that: Cowboys beat them, Buccaneers beat them, Saints beat them. I mean, when you take teams that you know are 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 are, are, are perennial sort of well these days they're perennial year in and year out powerhouses. You know, the Bucks, the Saints, Cowboys, too, that talent. They haven't won those games. So I want to see what the Patriots do over the next couple weeks because they're playing the Bills. Then they play the Colts. They play the Bills again. And then they end the year playing the Dolphins. And mind you, the Dolphins beat them earlier uh, in the season, I believe. So we'll see what happens. But I'm not necessarily – I'm not sold on the Patriots just yet. I'm just not. Yeah, and, and I agree with you there, and I think that's why I said I, I'm worried about them in a matchup with the better teams in the league. But that being said, I do think there is something we have to mention in that in sports, one of the only things you can do when you play bad teams is win and, and win convincingly. 
and and I'm not saying that you're not saying that they did that, but what they've done in games against bad teams is they've won convincingly. And that's kind of the Bill Belichick staple. He's not going to lose against a bad team. So I just think that when you look at, at they started off the season with a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones, and you gave him those first kind of five weeks that you mentioned, they lost to some pretty good teams in there, though. I think you give him that time to get more comfortable in the offense, and you give him that time to keep going, keep going. And now he's settled in, and he looks like a good quarterback. But the biggest question of the day will be what Nick said is, what Josh Allen are we getting tomorrow? Or I'm sorry, Monday night. Is it going to be the Josh Allen that looks like the new Patrick Mahomes sprinting around defenders, throwing balls on the run? Or is it going to be the Josh Allen that takes five sacks and throws the ball 30 yards out of the end zone? That's the real question. Enough with the Josh Allen slander out there. Nick, I know you're, I know you're a little hater there on Josh Allen, as is, as is Ryan Potts over here. Oh, please. That is the, that's the most ridiculous comment I've ever seen. By the way, we shouldn't be able to talk about quarterbacks, Nick, as Jeff fans. We should have no right to discuss the quarterback position. Yeah. We should have to sign a waiver or, or get it get it approved by someone at the NFL. But Josh Allen, Nick, Josh Allen's not overrated. I mean, what what quarterback can you honestly say is better right now than Josh Allen? What, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Rodgers, Brady, and that's it. I mean, the list really stops there. Um Quarterbacks today are, are inconsistent. Defenses are, are finding ways of, of 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 limiting what these quarterbacks can do. So I wouldn't say Josh Allen's overrated, and he's definitely not the most overrated player in football. But um, we'll see. We'll see. Monday night's a, b- a big, big game for him. I think Josh Allen's going to have a great game. I have a weird feeling. Um, played well against the Saints. I mean, he had four touchdowns. He, had, he completed 82% of his passes. I don't know how they lost that game, by the way. But, um, yeah. So you speak of a few young quarterbacks. Now, what would you be your thoughts on Josh Allen over Joe Burrow? Because Joe Burrow, to me, is having one of the more interesting seasons across the league. The Bengals sitting at 7-4, and four, they had a stretch there where they looked like they were going to be pretty dominant. But then they come out and lose to the Jets, and then the Browns in the next week, and then they go two back-to-back wins against the Raiders and the Steelers. This is a weird Bengals team. But I think Joe Burrow is going to, we're going to be hearing his name for a long time in this league. I think he's the real deal. And I think I'd take him over Josh Allen. Uh, it's a tough one. Um, I don't know. It's, it's tough because I think Josh Allen is where the quarter, I mean, not, not to sound like one of those old school uh, NFL minds that is always completely wrong, I feel like. But he's kind of where the game is, is going. Isn't that what what's his name said? Isn't that what uh, Chris Johnson yeah, said about yeah, yeah. yeah, it's where the game is gone. But no, Josh Allen is he's big, he's he's fast, he can improvise, he's strong, he's got a big arm, can't even press up on receivers anymore. So I feel like guys downfield are it's easier to get open. He's got all the really he's got all the intangibles I think you're really looking for. Burrow's good, man. Burrow's really good. I like him. He's got that he's got that toughness to him. I trust him, I feel. But um I just think Josh Allen's more talented, and I think Josh Allen's proven that he can play at an elite level for you know a five to seven game span. Burrow's, you know, jury's still out, um, and I think Burrow's got amazing weapons also. So don't underestimate that. Those guys out there, they really help him out. You know, between Chase, Boyd, Higgins, Mixon, um, they have they have a lot of pieces for him. Even their tight end Uzama's good. So um, I think. Allen, I think, has done more with less, to be honest, if you want to compare. But Burrow, this is really his first full 
I would say season where um, we can kind of get a sense of who he is and, and we'll see how the rest of the year plays out for the Bengals. But they've been they've been a good team, man. They freaking beat the hell out of the, the, the Steelers this past week. So, yeah, but they couldn't touch our Jets. Couldn't, yeah, couldn't no, touch them. They couldn't, they couldn't, couldn't touch, touch us, man. We're, we're legit, dude. No, but, but the one thing I want to give Burrow credit to, and I want to make sure this is clear, that Bengals team was the laughing stock of maybe pro sports. I mean, they had some records in terms of not going to the playoffs and not winning playoff games. Like, they were so bad. Like, they were unspeakably Forever, bad they for were a the, long time. They were, they were the biggest joke. Even so, when they were pretty good they were still a joke but it's funny because it was yeah but but it wasn't that long ago like literally three years ago right before they got burrow they were looked at as a complete laughing stock and while you're 100 percent right mix and t higgins jamar they have hoopers there but that's a system and when you look at offensive play calling that was very much an unproven system the fact that he came in there and did what he did with those guys putting the game plan for him and showing that he could do it with young talent around him that might be more impressive than what Josh Allen has done with the Bills. Now, obviously, he hasn't shown the playoff success yet. Josh Allen has already played in a big game. He didn't play well in that big game, but he's made it to a big game before. So we're yet to see Burrow do that. But I think it's going to be a battle. And I think a better comparison as of now would be between Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. Because I see them as much more similar in terms of the stages of the career they're in, the guys around them, and also how they've been performing. Who would you like in a Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert conversation? Oh man, this is a tough one. Um, I'm something about Herbert. I love man. Um, I think we still have to figure out if he's clutch, if he could win a big game, if he's tough down the stretch. That's still the jury's still out on that. But as a pure quarterback, man, this guy's elite. Honestly, I mean, he's leading the league now in QBR. He's first. He has a 66 QBR. He's got, you know, 3,230 passing yards, which is fourth. He has 24 touchdowns. Um, he's he's playing at a top-notch level. So, um, and I think his weapons you can look at and say maybe out of the quarterbacks we've just discussed, Burrow, Allen, Herbert might have the least impressive weapons out of the bunch. I mean, you want to look at Keenan Allen. I'm like, Williams, okay. Keenan's getting a little bit old and has had injury issues. Um, but – uh, you look at what Herbert's done with less. I mean, he's he's great, man. He's really good, that kid. And uh, I wish he didn't play for the Chargers. I wish we could see him play somewhere else um, where it's, you know, it gets a little bit cold and, and, you know, you build more of a of a tough team that maybe we'll be able to see him in big playoff games down the line because I would love to see him in big playoff games. And, and hopefully we, we can at some point. But I'll leave you with this. Josh Allen, you know, has more passing touchdowns than both of those guys. He has 25 passing touchdowns, and Herbert has 24, and Burrow 22. So just saying, Josh Allen's not having a bad year, everyone. But yeah, everyone's got to relax a little bit. He has 3,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, and 11 games. So hold your horse. He's 7-4, and four, all right? Listen, Josh Allen is certainly the real deal, as it seems Herbert and Burrow will soon turn out to be. And the other thing, though, that I, it doesn't, I wouldn't say worries me about Herbert – but I'll just say something to watch as the year goes on. And as we know, as the playoff time comes, you, you can start to rely on those main guys less and less because the defense starts to key in on those things. And I'll just say to watch how they've used Austin Eckler because, to be fair, I mean, maybe he doesn't have the same weapons as the other two guys we had, but Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler at your wide receiver one and running back one is not too shabby. And the way that he's dumped the ball off to Eckler has not only given him pretty good completion percentages but also yards. So I'd just say I'd watch out on how Herbert progresses throughout the season in that respect but otherwise no I mean you can't go wrong with either of those three 
I'm not surprised that they didn't fall on the Jets, of course, because if we had selected them, they would have been terrible. But the fact that Josh Allen's been doing it for a few more years now, I mean, you kind of have to go there in terms of consistency. But I think Burrow, out of the three names we've said, just it's just a feeling. I can't explain it. The, the Broadway Joe, the seeing him in the big game yeah, at LSU, do what yeah. he did. It just you mentioned it. Just you feel so like when he's on the field, you just. He's so comfortable. You just feel like he, he's going to take over. You feel like he's going to bring your team down the field. And so far in his short career, he, he kind of has. Yeah, no, you're right. There is something about seeing Joe Burrow and that look in his eye when it gets late in the game. You're like, I trust this guy. Maybe more, o- over both the other guys we just discussed. Um, I think Herbert, I think, I think Herbert honestly has like almost a perfect arm. Because the way he's able to dump the ball off for a guy with a cannon like he has, really, you don't see often. You usually see a dink and dunker style or a big, big play style guy. I mean, he could throw it anywhere on the field, and he's got touch too, which is so impressive with Herbert. Um, Burrow, though, man, he's a baller. He's got that little bit of a little bit of a Brady complex he's got there. So um, we'll see how he matures throughout that um but yeah to nick's comment and shout out to everyone in the comments you guys you guys are crushing we got nick and ryan just going back and forth like going crazy going crazy we we we, we got kimmy geef in there what that's up, my mom dude? kimmy that's my mom oh it is okay. <laughs> yeah yeah she's an eagles fan yeah she is damn eagle up. in philly so yeah speaking of a team that needs freaking wide receivers though they need some wide receivers I mean, they just got i mean I they got they got Devonte smith but they have a they yeah, might outside I mean, of him Past three years, you look at you look at the Eagles drafts. I mean, obviously they wouldn't have kept drafting receivers if they had hit on these guys, but you look at a team that could have a starting receiving core right now of DK Metcalf, Devontae Smith, and Justin Jefferson. Like, that is absurd. And you can say that about every other team in the league, but the craziest part is that they drafted receivers in those three spots. Like yeah. they drafted Rager over J Jets, Arcega Whiteside over DK, and they obviously made the right pick with Devontae Smith. But that's incredible that they messed that up. And I even don't Nick- understand how the hell. I mean, what the hell do I know, or what the hell do you know anyone know? I mean, Nick and I like we do like YouTube uh, scouting, and we'll send each other videos. But when we're looking at Jalen Rieger or Rager over Justin Jefferson, like Nick's bringing up. I mean, when you look at the film in college, it's not even close. Like, what are these scouts looking at? And here's what here's why there's no excuse for that pick specifically. If you want to talk about the Arcega Whiteside DK Metcalf pick, that's one thing because yeah. they're, they're different receivers. Like, even though it's crazy to pick that over DK, like different receivers, one's more block heavy, one's a bigger, one's a smaller slot guy. But when you look at Arcega, or sorry, when you look at Justin Jefferson and Jalen Rager, they're almost the exact same player. One of them's just worse, like objectively. Like yeah. They're pretty much the same build, same height. They're both really fast. One of them just has better hands, better route running, better everything. And they went with the worst guy. Like It, it made no sense. I will say Justin Jefferson, when he came onto the scene, I don't know if it was his big play was week one or week, I think it was week two of last year. Yeah. He looked different than I remember him at LSU. Like LSU, he seemed a little bit more of um, a, like a stockier build kind of receiver, not so much of a deep threat. I mean, now just Jefferson, it seems like the dude's playing. He's like six five out there with like four two speed. I mean, he's only six one, two hundred pounds, Jefferson, but he plays like Chase. These guys that aren't necessarily that big and imposing, but they're so flexible and explosive. And I will say, when Jefferson had that 
big week two or three of last year, whatever it was. I mean, he didn't look like I remember him at LSU. So sometimes I think there is something to be said with offseason training and, 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 and you're projecting what a guy could be, I think. Um, so maybe the Eagles aren't completely at fault, but Jalen Rager, just looking at him in college, I remember just watching some of his stuff. I'm like, this guy's good, but, I mean, the first-round pick is a little much, in my opinion. I mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. And, and as last mentioned at LSU, he was behind Chase. But the thing with – and I don't know if you heard me mention this last time I did the show with Snacks, but my roommate Evan brought this up to me that – there's definitely a new age of receivers in the league, whether it's the build or just the way they move, the agility, the elusiveness. When you look at the following names of Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, 100% Elijah Moore, these guys that are just recently coming into the league, every single one of them, it seems, hit a gear that wasn't hit before, just run routes in a special way. Kadarius Tony, I forgot his name. He might be the craziest of them all yeah, in terms, of the, in terms yeah. of the elusiveness. Rashad Bateman, he's incredible too. He a little biased there, but everything. I mean, all these guys, every single one we named, Michael Pittman too, it's just, it's different. Like, it genuinely is just a different, I'm watching something different on my screen opposed to the older age receivers that we saw who were probably a lot stronger down the field and did a lot of different things that we're seeing these new guys do today. But, Absolutely, man. Yeah, th this is like the golden age for uh, wide receivers. You know, we have – you can't even list 10 of them, top 10. There's like – out of the top 30, you can make a case that they can all be in the top 10. You know, you make a top 10 list, Keenan Allen might end up being like, t you know, 22nd or something. But you can make a case that Keenan Allen's a top 10 receiver to just to bring up someone we were talking about no, before. It's insane. 100%. And it just shows you it's, it's all based on opportunity, especially in a league where everyone is so good. Like, there's so many guys we didn't even get to that just relies on opportunity, like a Debo Samuel. Like, we've seen what he's done this year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we didn't bring him like, up. The, like, there's so many guys that, and as Nick's saying, it's not the 50-50 ball body type. Like, you need a different type of player now. And so many guys around the league are adapting to it. And, and it's really just fascinating because it just more and more shows you the guys that get the opportunity and the guys that end up capitalizing on it are the guys that do the best on Sundays. Don't forget about Braxton Berrios, kid. Don't Braxton forget about Berrios. him. Don't yep. sleep on my man, Braxton. No, don't don't. Forget it. <laughs> so you've been watching any hoops? A little bit here and there, man. I kind of wait till the football season starts winding down and really get into hoops. Uh, I caught a little bit of the Knicks game the other night. Um, that, the end of that game was nuts. That call was complete, utter bullshit. I mean, listen, Mitch Robinson, this is Knicks Nets, everyone. The Knicks are getting blown out right now by 20 points, though. Unbelievable. Um, but that Mitch Robinson foul, you don't call that. I mean, you, you can't. I mean, listen, Mitch Robinson will foul. Mitch Robinson gets fouls when he's on the bench. That's, that, that's Mitch Robinson for you. We should have traded this guy years ago or at least last year, but Nick fans are obsessed with him because he blocks – a crazy shot here and there. So he's all of a sudden, you know, Will Chamberlain 2.0. But, um, uh, yeah, the Knicks, we're, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Um, and uh, there is one reason, and I was looking a little bit at some stats. The Knicks, and I said this when we ended up getting Kemba Walker. You bring in Kemba Walker. You bring in Derrick Rose. You have Emmanuel Quickly. You have Julius Randle. You have R.J. Barrett. You have, and then you bring in Evan Fournier. What do all those guys do? They all are tunnel vision scorers. Yeah, exactly. They just they want to do this. They want to score. These guys have no court vision. The peripherals don't exist. 
When Julius Randle is by far your best passer on your team, by far, you know you're screwed. Let's just be honest. And um, the Knicks are 27th in the NBA in assists. I mean, we don't move the ball around. Our field goal percentage is lower because of that. We're 22nd in field goal percentage. Passing the ball around is crucial in basketball today. No one does it better than Golden State. And if you want to go to a team that's first in the league in assists, it's Phoenix. Um, so, I mean, you look at that, I mean, and they're, they're first in field goal percentage. I mean, that's the kind of style that wins in today's game. And it's just the Knicks just it, – it, it was it was faulty the way we, we built this team. I like all these players, you know, in a vacuum, but – Putting them all together, who's moving the ball around? It's all one-on-one, pass and watch, pass and watch. The Lakers are going through this too. I mean, you see it. It's not how you build a team, you know? I'm almost out of words to describe the Knicks team. I I'm, could not be more disappointed. It's Everything you're saying is true. It's enraging that you come in here with this lineup that, I'll admit, I thought it looked solid coming into the season. But yeah. it's so disappointing because of how well we played down the stretch last season with mostly the same guys in. Now, I want to give a message to my Knicks fans because I feel like I have to be the optimist of the franchise surrounded by so many people who are down on things. Let's make one thing very clear. Through 20 games last year, we were 9-11. and Now, that 9-11 and sounded a lot better because the year before we were terrible. The year before that, we were even worse. So that 9-11 and was like, oh my God, we turned things around. We were 11-9 and through 20 games this year, so that's two games better. So let's not forget that we have to think of things relatively and not just think about how we ended last year, but think about how the past 10 years have gone for us and think about that if we're 11-9 and right now with how bad all of us are seeing them play, there's only room to get better and we're only going to go up. And I think that that is something very good and very true that can be said about this next team that yes, we look terrible. Yes, as I currently speak, we are down 20 points because they decided to do a one o'clock game on a Saturday. But all we're asking is it's that... almost 30 now, Sonny. Almost 30. to 66. <laughs> all I'm asking is that we put some of the things in place that we were doing down the stretch last year, defending, getting out in transition, moving the ball, knocking down threes, and we start winning games against good teams again. Is that so hard to ask? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, you know what? The Knicks need to make a move. Um, we get, we we have to trade somebody. I don't. I mean, we're gonna trade Kemba. Apparently, they're saying. I don't know if that's gonna happen. Um, we need to move someone. There is someone I think we should trade, and you're probably gonna disagree with me. And I'm sure if you have friends that are Knicks fans, are gonna think I'm nuts. Um, we need to trade. I'm gonna put this out there in the universe, and I'm being very negative today. I'm actually don't sorry, Sonny. Don't even say You know who I'm gonna it. say. Don't even say his name. R.J. Barrett. <laughs> No, I'm done. Podcast over. All right, Splash. I'm going to do the single view I'm right done. now. Single no, view. No. Sonny's you could have said anyone. All you right. You could have said Julius. Let me explain. Let no. me explain to you all. Not RJ. Look, I will give you. I, not actually, but I will give you my Julius jersey to throw out as long as RJ stays on the roster. Wait, so you, right, right now, let's just say, let's just put a hypothetical out there. The rest of the season, you can have Randall or Barrett, one or the other. You're taking Barrett? You know how bad we'd be if we had Barrett without Randall? We'd be all, I mean, we're pretty bad now, but we'd be terrible if we had just Barrett, in my opinion. We'd be the worst team in the league. 
Yeah, for one season. I get what you're saying. Long term, I may I would probably take Barrett over Randall. But dude, I don't know, man. Is Barrett the guy? I just he's one for seven today. I mean, just came back from injury, right? He 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 has illness. Played. Yeah, he he wasn't feeling well. Yeah, I mean, like you know, he's got one assist. He's got thirteen points. I mean, I think he's on the wrong team because I think that the players we have aren't, as I was saying, getting him the ball in open spots because none of these guys pass the ball besides Randall. And when Randall's your best passer, that you're, you're you're screwed. I mean, you're you know you're fucked. You know, it's it's bad. But I think Barrett is just. I don't know what's missing from his game. It just doesn't seem like – I don't know. Is he going to work out? I, I don't – The issue is – Randall just, will. I mean, Randall – we know what Randall is. I mean, he's got his flaws, but when he's dripping Randall, he's dropping 30. So, And that's why I answered the question the way I did because we know what Randall is today. We don't know what RJ is. And some might say, what are you saying? Like, that's why you should have picked Randall, not RJ. But that being said, I'm comfortable with Randall as he is. He's fine. He's a great, probably one of the better number two, probably the would be the best number three option on a championship team in the league. I think he can be that even at the number two spot, but he's not the guy. And I think RJ has shown flashes that if he ends up, I don't want to say getting to the level of a Jimmy Butler or a guy like that, but if he starts improving levels that we have not seen this year that we were expecting to see, it will be different. And the other thing that is clear as day to me with RJ that I saw so much during the stretch down last season is that they were pairing his minutes up with Derrick Rose so closely throughout the playoffs and that's because of what you're saying Frankie Derrick Rose is an elite ball handler and elite distributor but we can't rely on someone like Derrick Rose anymore to give us 40 minutes a game like you just can't Tibbs has already tried doing that to him in Chicago and Minnesota he can't do it now he's too old and that leaves RJ on the floor without a primary ball handler. So if they're not going to use him as the Maple Mamba, as other teams are using their guys, as we see teams like the Sixers using Tyrese Maxey when their dudes are out, if the Knicks aren't going to be using RJ like that, then we need someone else in the game who's going to find him the ball on the wing in his spot-up shots. Like It's one or the other. You can't not give RJ the keys and then also not give him someone to get him the ball and then complain he's not doing anything. Personally, like, I feel like you either have to give him the ball and have him fail not give him the ball, but understand, like, okay, he's not producing, but he's not getting the ball. But the one option you can't do is just say, like, oh, he just sucks. Like, I feel like that's unfair to him. Yeah, but then look look, look right here. Look at some of these past games he's had. I mean, this is inexcusable, honestly, uh, Sonny. I mean, you know, four points, 15, 10, 12, 9, 11, 17, 12, 2, 9, 15, 6. I mean – that's terrible. I, I mean, granted, that's the recent sample size. Earlier in the season, you know, he had a game. He had 35, I think, right? Yeah, he had 35 at New Orleans. He had 27. He had some nice. He had a nice little stretch here, but you know, you can't get away in the NBA scoring six points, two points, nine points, nine 100%. points. 100. You know? And you're yeah. right, and it, and it makes it even worse because when I look at those numbers, I'm glad you brought those up because I don't look at those low numbers as the problem. I look at the, the high numbers as the problem. Why is he not doing that more often? It, he's showing you that he can put up 30. He's showing you that he can put up 27. Like, if you pull that back up again, you look at how many shots he's taking in some of those games where he doesn't score. There is a direct correlation with RJ not taking enough shots and not scoring. Like that, And that makes sense. That's not an Einstein to figure out, but... It just seems like if he starts off in these games where he's not doing as hot, 
the attempts don't end up going up. Like, obviously, there are a few games there where he shoots 6 of 20, but these games where he's playing 35 minutes and goes 3 of 8, and he stops shooting, opposed to a game against the Pelicans, like that 35-point game he had. Yeah, you look here. He, exactly. Look, these are games where he's, took, he's taken 20 shots, 21 shots. He's dropping I, I, 20 and 23. This it, game, he took 18 shots. Yeah, exactly. He, he, so he's, he's, he's not shooting enough. I'll, exactly. I'll, 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 I'll agree with you there. 100%. So I'm not, and I'm not saying now that he needs to be shooting on the level of Steph Curry or Kevin Durant. But when you look at guy, around guys at the league, like that scoring number, I'm telling you, it's always, it's always, always, always so misleading because you look at a guy like Bradley Beal, uber talented, but no one says a word if he takes 30 shots a night and scores 25 points. They'll say he averaged 25 points. They won't tell you he averaged 30 shots a night. So all I'm saying is RJ, very specifically, I think he will end up being okay, but it is something to look at. And I would lie to you if I said I'm not worried because... He's a number three pick in the draft, and as of right now, I mean, 15 points a game, scoring nine points every other night is not going to cut it. Not in New York City, at least. By the way, what did Nick mean by this? Sonny's big time now. He's the official basketball Jones. So, oh, he just met my dad. Uh, whenever he calls me on to talk about basketball, he, he gave me the nickname Basketball Jones. Oh, really? That, yeah, yeah, that's all. That's all. That was funny, uh, though. American all right, what is, this new, what is this new ball, Ryan? So they this? they instituted I, a new ball and like an actual physical ball like a a new ball in the league. Oh, they got like a so it's not the they don't use yeah. balding. No, I think they went back to Wilson. Um, oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think personally. I don't know if that was a serious question, but I don't think um, I don't think it's making a difference. I mean, if it was, maybe he. Okay. So I'm honestly, I think. You know, I don't ever want to credit like discredit a guy for a ball change, but it definitely could be something that is affecting his shooting because you look at a guy like Barrett, who we've just talked about this whole question, like if he's not taking many looks, he has to knock down the ones he is taking. And if the ball is affecting a shot here and there, that could be something. But when you look at the the way the rest of the league down on that? When you look at the way the rest of the league has responded after the first 10, 15 games or so, I would say he's probably not affected by the ball because if that was so, then Damian Lillard should have continued struggling as he did at the beginning of the season, but he kind of figured it out also. And some other guys like Bradley Beals figured it out. So so I don't think necessarily um, it's that. But I think like Paul George says right there, not to make an excuse, but it just is a different basketball. Like it, it's a different ball. It just, you got to get used to it a little bit. So I, don't, I wouldn't say it's fair to blame his entire struggles, but I wouldn't say it'd be a stretch to blame maybe like the first five games or so on, on a new ball. Watch, we're going to come back next week, and Sonny's going to be all about this new ball conspiracy. He's going to be like, Barrett sucks because of the Wilson ball. Blame it on the ball. You're going in a new ball rabbit hole. I can sense it already. Oh, oh, yeah. oh hundred. it's going to happen now. Now that you say it, it, it might happen. Speaking of new balls, what the hell is going on in baseball? They were like freaking the Manfred was, was, was allowing different baseballs to come in and out of games. Just, baseball just, is the most corrupt sport, by the way. Ever, ever, like, like it's it's ever. insane, You're and no one's talking about for it. Years, freaking betting and, and fucking hitting garbage cans. No, it, it's literally it, insane. It's it's fascinating, and the only thing crazier than the only thing. Okay, let me set the scene. They the way that story came out is an astrophysicist who I guess worked with one of the teams, might have been an independent, <laughs> whatever. He did do only baseball would hire an Astros. He's literally testing the balls, and one day is like, this ball is different than this ball. Like he scientifically showed, and he came to the MLB (laughs) with the data, and they were like, yeah. But now the only thing that could make 
baseball using two different balls without telling anyone even crazier is if what Pete Alonso claims is happening, that they're doing it during contract years. So the years where the pitcher, there are more pitchers in the offseason, they'll make the balls easier to hit so the pitchers look worse. And in the years where there's more hitters in the offseason, free agents, they make the balls harder to hit so the pitchers look better and the hitters get less money. If that comes out to be true, that is a a different level of planning, of corruption, of (laughs) it's genius. (laughs) But that would be it. That would be an like that would be past any cheating scandal. I think that would be worse than the Astros cheating scandal. Like if the league was actually trying to cheat people out of money. Exactly. That would the be owners. The owners are probably in, if that's true. The owners have to be involved in that as well. 100%. They're the ones handing up the money. So if they know that they're going to be paying less, they would obviously want to, right? Splash, can you pop up an article somewhere about that? Yeah, where now, that came out. That's now I want to like, be. Yeah, I, I'm not reporting that as factual. I just believe that that's what Pete Alonso claimed. If if I believe it was Pete Alonso who claimed that, but man, that would be something. If that really was like that, would be. That'd be wild. He was saying this where on Twitter. Was he going off about this on Twitter or? Yeah, I actually think he said it in a. I think he said it in a post game uh, conference. Actually. Oh really? But yeah, and like Splash said, like the Field of Dreams game. That was a game that people said there were a lot of home runs in that game, especially that last one by Tim Anderson. Didn't look like it was going to leave the park. Like that's a ball that carries over, and who knows if that ball, how whatever they actually change to it, like the stitchings an extra half centimeter up, whatever they do to it to make it fly further, like. If they if that's a thing that they do, that is a problem. Yeah, we don't realize with the amount of money that there is in sports, what little things they can do that we would have never even thought of that can change the you know the aspect to to the game as a whole. I mean, there's so many. Who knows with this new NBA ball what the real purpose is? I mean, I'm sure it's a sponsorship deal to an extent, but could be some other elements to it as well. Um, it's, it's really interesting, though. But, yeah, it says a new report says the league used two different balls last season. That's just so weird, man. I, I can tell and you the, what. And, yeah. I, I was going to say I could tell – well, you have something about that because I was going to – No, I'm just going to say that we didn't know about this until you were saying that this astrophysicist found out. I mean, it's not like the league said anything, so it's – Exactly. Yeah, look, Meredith Wills, an astrophysicist and data scientist. So she's not with a team. She Her own independent studies of baseball is used in major league games. Like, how – Embarrassing is not the right word, but how just perfect is it that like an independent astrophysicist did her own sample on the balls? That just shows you that they thought that they were too smart. Like like no one was gonna figure them out. That shows yeah. they were too smart. But regardless of what ball is in play, I don't care if they're using a baseball or a bowling ball. The Mets have the best two pitchers on the planet, and and they're both gonna be pitching in Queens. So you forgot uh, about uh, you forgot about Mr. Severino who's coming back, kid. I oh, forgot I about forget no one. <laughs> he is not, he's now, what, the sixth best pitcher in New York? Like the 16th, probably. But yeah, you count relievers. <laughs> if you count relievers, yeah, that's actually true. But yeah, no, so it says, uh, it says here, yeah, Alonzo accuses MLB of manipulating baseballs to suppress the free agent market. And wow, I can't, I can't explain enough how much of a problem that would be for baseball. And it makes you think. Do you think it's something that only can get away with in baseball because of how stat-oriented it is and how everything relies on the numbers and more than any other sport analytics? Like, they can make such a little change that has such an effect? Or do you think it's something that kind of is probably done in other sports to varying levels of degree, whether you want to say, this is just one example, whether it's a 
ref in the NFL moving one of the chains up in a half inch to give a team a spot or like who knows I bet you there are many other things that have happened similar to that that we just don't know about yeah you know what someone brought this to my attention over the weekend you know what they do or last weekend you know what they do in the NFL some of these refs is or, or uh, people that are um, uh, in control of the clock they'll let a few seconds roll after plays if they're taking the under they want the game to last less, you know, time. So the faster the game moves, the better chance they have of hitting the under. So you have people that are managing the clock that either stop it short if they're taking the over or they'll let it go an extra second or two. You know, you multiply that out by, you know, 60 possessions. That's an extra minute of, of, of football. How long does a play last? Seven, eight seconds, six seconds. How many more plays is that? That's um, th- that equates to more scoring. So someone was bringing this up. I'm like, I've never even thought of that. But apparently that's a thing that, that you know, can be done in the NFL that we don't know who's yeah. going to control the clock. What do you know if it stops at, at you know, at, at two minutes and 20 or two minutes and, and, and 21? I mean, you think it's nothing, but it, it could matter. You're 100% right. And one of the more popular ones, the flake gate, obviously, that, that was something that once again calls the integrity of a game some guy trying to make a very small change that well whether or not brady did it someone try to make a small change that had an effect on the game or like spot said rogers likes his balls the other way like a little heavier these little changes in a game in sports where everything's about a unified ball or a unified set of rules or a unified something and everyone has to play to that one thing if you start to change that it gives you any little competitive advantage and we know how badly these guys want to win, so there's no doubt in my mind that stuff like this is happening. Just to give you even that little edge, that even if it's just psychological, even if it's not even something that really yeah. would make a difference, like it, that, who knows? It's something that could change. Yeah, I mean, football, baseball, basketball, the you know, all of these professional sports, all the sports we love, inches, centimeters matter um, from a ball going in or not, from hitting a pitch or not. Uh, from fouling a ball off or not, so you get another, you know, another pitch. I mean, it's just there's so many elements to, to sports that if you start changing things a little bit here and there, you can potentially change the outcome of things. So, yeah, no, I think we should start a conspiracy sports show. Uh, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Let's go. We'd have infinite, infinite material. Cause I, yes. you know, how many conspiracies I can make right now off the top of my head. <laughs> I, yeah, I no, mean, no political conspiracies. We'll just no. do sports conspiracies. Yeah, That's sports it. conspiracies only. Yep. Literally, Splash, yeah. you got one? Come on, Splash. Throw one. Th- get on the show. Come on. L- let's hear your best sports conspiracy. If let's you let's, got let's one. drop Splash in. Splash has one. No, he that, he needs to have one. Splash, I'm you're thinking, on the show. Thinking. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, no. Right. You're on the spot. Splash, your number one sports conspiracy. I mean, I immediately jumped to the Patrick Ewing draft lottery. Okay. No, I like that. Let's hear it. I, I, I like that. Let's hear, well, the, like, let's hear some details. Yeah. I think that's pretty. That's been pretty well played out. Like yeah. Throws the envelope. Stern does one extra turn of his hand, feels the cold envelope, and picks the picks the cold envelope. <laughs> I, I mean, that like that, that's a pretty popular conspiracy. I mean, well, you know, betting on his what's, team. What's funny, Splash, is the the Ewing one. That might be the one example. Like. You probably couldn't have given a better example because that's so much of a conspiracy that's not even really a conspiracy anymore. Like, right. I think that's true. Like, people just believe that as fact. Like, they definitely rigged that. So, no. my, I guess my big conspiracy is Lonnie Smith got blackballed from baseball in the late ni- or late eighties, early nineties. Um, he had some rocky years with the Cardinals and uh, Phillies, 
and then he comes to Atlanta and he's the best player in baseball in 1991 for no reason whatsoever. But he would have been somewhere else if these MLB owners weren't absolute morons and had uh, uh, colluding under the surface. Is that a conspiracy theory? Probably not, but my man Lonnie Smith got screwed. I like where you're going with that, though. That could definitely fall under the conspiracy show that we are in the future making 100%. Yes. Absolutely. And I'll have my little political uh, segment as well. We'll take breaks and I'll, I'll, I'll do some politics because yeah. I, I got a lot of those ones, let me tell you, but <laughs> I can't talk yeah. about it. I don't want to get canceled. Yeah, You've been watching Snacks and Sunny here on U Stadium. <laughs> Frankie filling in today. You got Splash behind the scenes as always, doing an awesome job. Appreciate you. Um, but yeah, anything else we got to get to? Let's I'm going to just say one last Saturday. thing. I yeah, think. My Yankees um, aren't looking like they're really doing much. I don't know what the plan is moving forward, but um, this is a very, very interesting time to be a Yankees fan. Um, we haven't signed anybody, I don't think. Are we looking to sign anybody? I don't know what the hell is going on. Not that I'm really following all that closely, but uh, Yankees have a big season ahead of them because things – it's to the point now where when are you going to blow it up, right? Like when are you going to restart or when are you going to change the approach uh, or, or, or bring in a big name to sort of, you know, take ownership, leadership, you know, be that leader that we're looking for. Even though I love Judge, I think we need somebody else maybe in here that can kind of shake, you know, ruffle some feathers. Um, where is this team going? I think. What does it look like? What's what's the personality of the New York Yankees in 2022 and, and, and moving forward? This is a big season for them. They haven't changed much. It seems like they want to go in with the same team they had last year. This is going to be a rough one, though. I, I don't know. I don't know if I like it. Um, I don't know if we're going to get Carlos Correa, but if we can make a nice move, as I'm saying, and we got to start changing the fabric of this team because um, – it's it's it hasn't worked and it's been a long time since it has so well i'll leave you with this i agree with you they have to change the fabric of the team but what you just said is another evidence log in the 100 year old evidence log that the yankees fans are the most spoiled fans in sports history <laughs> not only is your hey. roster filled with th two mvps right now at the deadline like the last time you were let, let's just look let's just be clear other than this offseason, the last time the Yankees had a chance to make a move was the deadline, which they did make two massive moves that ended up not doing anything for them because they suck anyways. But they bring in Gallo and Rizzo. So all I will say for you is, while I'm sure everyone's rolling in their grave and everyone is just sitting there thinking about how the old Yankees would be doing so much more and they would have got Scherzer and this, that, the Yankees will be fine. You'll make some moves here and there and you'll be good for sure. The thing with the Yankees that's bothering me most, though, is our fucking GM, Cashman, and I'm going to refer to him using F-bombs because I can't stand the guy anymore. You bring in Joe Gallo because Splash is asking what do we think about Gallo before. Gallo's good, just not for the Yankees. You know, like we're just making wrong moves like the for the Knicks. Needed, Kemba's yep. good, not for the Knicks. I mean, it's the same story. It's, just because a player's good doesn't mean it's good for your team. Odell Beckham, we spoke about earlier in the show, good player, not for the Rams. It's just, I think these GMs just want to go out there and just get good players, but does it match your team? This isn't Madden. This isn't fantasy football. Teams have to mesh, and Gallo is 
a sub 200. Craig is 100% right. Your dad, Sonny. Shout outs to Big Craig. Gallo sucks. The GOAT. He does. He bats under 200. He bats, what, 190-something last year? Yeah, it's a lot of home runs. How many freaking home runs do we want? Like, how many home runs do we need to, for Cashman to, to appreciate baseball? It's insane. Enough is enough. Bring in a scrappy player that can steal some bases, that gets on base, and, and, and can score some runs. I don't know. It's just the fabric's just off. I'm sorry. Did you see what my? Did you see the joke my brother made in the chat? No, I didn't see it. Where is it? He goes, I think the pantry might be empty. There's no snacks. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> I'm going to smack him when I get home <laughs> in a break. That was a terrible one. That wow. could not have been di- more of a lucky He just dissed our show, unreal. Yeah, he just dissed just, me. Yeah, right. just di- he really did diss you. Yeah, he dissed me, dude. It's all right. Yeah, and as my dad says, I just said this before, Yankees fans are the most entitled fans ever. I didn't even bring this up. You have 30 straight winning seasons Three million straight years of being one of the top three highest paying teams in sports, as they should be because of how much they bring in. But anyways, Yankee fans are way too entitled. Let's stick to the Mets. Scherzer or DeGrom, the two leadingest pitchers in war since 2015. Obviously, DeGrom's dominance last year was something crazy, but who do you expect to be their number one guy in a playoff series where they might need to play one of them multiple times? It has to be DeGrom, right? Yeah, I think so. It has to be DeGrom. And I'll say this. If they're both healthy and they play 90% of the the season, they're available. Because they're going to miss some time, both of them. And they'll do that strategically if the Mets know what they're doing, which I don't know if they do. Um, But I love the move. I mean, you bring in Max Scherzer, you bring in a leader, someone that's going to challenge the other pitchers in that clubhouse and make the team uh, just, just feel like they have a chance to win. I mean, he was Scherzer was talking about what he did in 2019 with the Nationals and how they allowed him to pitch. They kept him out there, and that's why he recently uh, wanted to leave his 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 past team. He want, he wanted to leave LA because they weren't allowing him to really pitch as much as he wanted to. He said that he spoke with um, ownership and you know in New York, and, and they're going to allow him to pitch. So Scherzer and Degrom, I mean, that's a dream scenario there. If the Mets know what they're doing or even by mistake just fall into it they should be able to make the playoffs and make a run this is deadly i mean like it's the grom's unbelievable and scherzer's a baller and and when it comes to a big playoff game you're gonna have one or the other so yeah i mean when you talk about a guy you're just gonna Your go dad out just and... said is a team lose by nine we already <laughs> talked about it dad watch the beginning of the show <laughs> no that's yeah. actually really that's insanity. No, that was bad. And you, like he a, said he says ninety, and we don't even think about it because it almost was actually ninety. Yeah, they were down by. That's like UConn women's basketball status right there. Like honestly, no. Like, but the the Scherzer situation has reminded me of my love for sports, and I think has sent a general message out to everyone in sports: be patient. Let's not forget what di- like directly led to us getting Scherzer. Stroman, that happened a little bit after, but. He was not coming back. They knew that pretty early, like pretty early in free agency once he started tweeting all this stuff. And, and he's lost me. I used to be an avid follower. He's lost me. But they got rid of Stroman. Syndergaard leaves. Mats leaves. So they have, they have three straight things of like, oh, what's happening? I don't know who's coming back and this guy's coming in. But those three guys leaving is exactly what, and even maybe you can say Conforto. That's not confirmed, but that's a fourth. When those guys leave, like, that itself is not only what pissed Steve Cohen off, but that's what gave us the money and the space to bring in a guy like Scherzer. So if you're the Yankees, be patient. 
do not rush a move because a week later, that guy who I never thought the Mets would be a landing spot for Scherzer, guy comes available, the owner and GM makes a move at him, and he, now he's in Queens. So I would just say, sports are awesome, be patient, and let your teams figure it out. I agree, but Sonny, the thing with the Yankees is we try to get guys. Like, we actively spend, but we spend in the wrong places. That's what's annoying about it. I'd almost be more prone to saying, like, don't spend any money, see what happens. All right, how much bitching as a Yankee fan can we do if we're not really trying anything? We, we go in with what we have, but we always try to bring in these players, and they just, like, you're like, what the hell are you doing, Cashman? I just – I don't understand. We give Hicks this big contract. We give Sever, Severino before that a big contract. Uh, what is he doing? I mean, the resources are there, you know? It's like you're going to build a house and you have, you know, three million bucks you could spend on it and you make this ridiculously weird house and the, the roof is caving in on one of the bedrooms and you're like, what the hell are you doing? You know You know what I mean? It's like we have the resources don't try so hard. It may get some scrappy players, get some pitching. We know what we need. Um, I don't know. I'm bitching. I'm no, obviously no, but a it's the, Yankee fan. But. No, but I will be, I'll give you credit. Because it's the Yankees, it's kind of the one thing that you're allowed to complain about. Like, there is such an expectation every year of them spending money that if the one time they don't do it, it's like, what is there to make up? Like, you have the money. You have the respected GM. You have the people in place. You have the core pieces. What else are you doing? Like, what is left to be messing around with? Like, you have a position where you actually have a chance to win a World Series. So I don't get your frustration for saying, what's the deal? I just think that the outlook of, it's over, the Yankees are done, well, like, that outlook is just a little bit too further down the line when a team with such a storied history of making moves, and obviously we know what's happening with the lockout, that's going to delay things a, a good amount, and fans will be pissed about that. But Yankees are fine. They will make the move, but but I guess I can't blame you for wanting stuff to happen, especially when you see Scherzi go into the Mets, other guys signing $500 million deals left and right, and you're the Yankees sitting here in the pinstripes like, what are we doing? So I don't blame you. I definitely don't blame you for that. Where do you think Correa goes? You don't think he'll – if you're a Yankees fan, would you want Correa on the Yankees? Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah. talk about bringing in another MVP-type candidate, probably the – well, not probably – based off of the awards, the best defender at his position, which is probably the most important defensive position in the infield shortstop, like, he's going to be just, mm, whoever team gets him, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. You see this story? It's MLB Rumors, so it's, it was on NJ.com. Ex-Mets star may talk Carlos Correa at a signing with the Yankees, so apparently there's some steam there. But, I mean, um, yeah, I Mike mean, Rodriguez listen, posted about it. In an actual, In an absolute dream world, the Mets, the Mets, I mean, they lost Baez, so the dream world is now shattered. Like, just pick the dream up and drop it on the floor. But the dream world of having the three Puerto Ricans, Baez, Lindor, and Correa, who played together for the Puerto Rican national team, I mean, they did, that yeah. would have been so fun. That would have been, a that been, fun, that yeah. been the best <laughs> infield in the league, no question. That, that's a, almost a billion-dollar infield right there. Like, that is unheard, that's almost unheard of. So that dream shattered, obviously, but I don't know – why? I mean, him seeing Scherzer come here, having the friendship with Lindor, I wouldn't say Correa to the Mets is a non-possibility. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, if, if, uh, if he wants to play in a big market and, and the Mets right now with Cohen, they're looking to be one of the big market splash teams. I could see something like that happening. I mean, listen, what I think it'll come down to for the Mets next year, it's not going to be a pitching issue. It, it really isn't for the most part from your starting pitching at least. 
It's just, are you going to score enough runs? I mean, we're going to go through that same dance where the Mets are losing one nothing, or and it's you in know it's two inning. one, and score then every freaking time, right? Score I mean, it's, a it's, run. It's comical. It literally. I mean, you, you're like, it can't happen again. It Not happens again. again. It happens again. It happens like it's insane. It's the only thing. The only thing I like. I was mad that I saw that Scherzer had that opt out because after two years he might be like. All right, I can only lose so many one nothing or two one starts again before I'm out of here, and that is the one thing I pray does not happen. Do not let Scherzer lose more than three one run games, or I will be livid. <laughs> I, I'll be so one. mad to as a core of my soul. But yeah, yep. well, uh, let's take. Uh, if anyone has any questions out there, shout outs to the chat. Chat is chat is popping right now. We have Jerry in the chat. Chris. Yep. We have the goat Craig. Knicks officially just lost by 14 points, by the way. Nuggets cover the two-point spread. Embarrassing. Oh, wow. Absolutely embarrassing. But, yeah, any, any well, main we're questions? we're under 500 now, huh? Oh, uh, so. yeah, I guess, yeah. That officially? Yeah. yeah, under 500. It's not good. Um, isn't it crazy how after a week or two, well, while we're the Knicks, we were the number one seed in the East. Five and we're one. going crazy. And we're like, the Knicks fans are celebrating. It's literally insane. Um Best fans in the world, baby. Damn Best right, Best fans man. in the world. When we beat, I remember last year when we beat the Hawks in game one, I was watching the game outside the garden, and I go down to MSG outside, and Nick fans are chanting, Nick's in five. Nick's, no, we, no, we won game we two. Excuse two. Me. We lost game one. One game yeah. two. Nick's yep, in Nick's five. Nick's in five. Nick's yep. in five. Who the hell would have thought that the Hawks would have ended up winning of in all five? Yeah. We didn't win another game the entire series. It was literally... We had, there were fire trucks out. There was cop cars. They were throwing a freaking parade outside. It was actually awesome. but Yeah. No. All right. Just because Splash said it, I will give you my one singular college football take. Okay? Let's hear it. And I don't, know, I don't know if you can call this a take or what, but I'm just going to make an overall statement. You can disagree, and then we'll get out of here, and Splash will yell at me. College football is not even like I've tried this past season. I really have tried. It does not compare to the NFL. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Not even close. It doesn't. I'm glad okay, I'm glad you agree. I have friends that disagree. I understand. It is very cool. Team spirit does not compare to the pros. Just doesn't. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It's you know what it is, man? I just think college players recycle all the time. You have a guy in there for three years. You really can't build any sort of like affection to the guy you know you, you don't like these players because they leave it's it's just it's about your love for the team so if you went to the school if you went to michigan you're gonna root for michigan but for fans like us on the northeast man we like players you know we we like we like to rep our cities new york what new york college team is there syracuse i mean the Rutgers was cool at a point it was nearby but it's just for us it just doesn't fit like it does when we're rooting for the Mets, Yankees, or, or Jets. You know what I mean? So, But players just constantly leaving makes it a difficult sport to follow. And the quality is not what it is. But the NFL, man, we can't compare anything to it. It's king. Their ratings are, again, through the roof this year. And they're just um, they're just always ahead of the game uh, compared to other sports. The NBA is struggling with ratings. Baseball had a good year last year, but they traditionally struggle with ratings. But the NFL just climbs year by year. So... Appreciate you for listening, Nick. We do this every Saturday. 
be sure to tune in next Saturday. But, but yeah, no, you're 100% right. So, so Georgia versus Bama tonight. Well, not tonight. It's about 40 minutes. I think it's a 4 p.m. start. Who you like? Bama's coming in four seed. Georgia's the one. And Georgia's favored by six and a half points. But you like Bama in that game? I'm going with Mr. Saban, man. Nick Saban's the best football coach of all time across all football leagues, including the NFL. Nick Saban's the GOAT. He is a leader of, of, of boys and men. I'm going with Bama. I will never not go with Bama in a big game when, as long as Nick Saban's there uh, and well. I, uh, I'm going with Bama, 100%. See, I'm so with you, and every part of me wants to say Saban, just like you said, he has the pedigree, has everything, the national championships, but it's just something about this Georgia team. It seems like, not that this is the year, but this is one of those years where Bama's kind of just going off of their old pedigree, their historic, the historicness of their franchise, and less of what they've done on the field. I don't know if the quarterback situation is going to be what it is in the past situations in the national championship game if they do make it there. So I think that if there was a year where the Sabinness would, if you can call it, would fail, I think it would be this. And I think this game will be pretty indicative of that. And I think Georgia might seek away with this one. I will say this. One of the most underrated players in football, in college football right now, that underrated because they should be talking about him night and day, is this kid Bryce Young. He's amazing. I don't think we talk about him enough. I mean, when Johnny Manziel was doing things that Bryce Young was doing, he's on every freaking uh, every other ESPN show. They're talking about Johnny Manziel. Bryce Young is a baller, and this kid is special. Um, second in the nation in touchdowns, fourth in QBR, my favorite stat. Um, Bryce Young is 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 balling, and he's about to make that Georgia defense look like the the you know college football Detroit Lions in in in, in about an hour. So Splash, I'm gonna take your bet. How about this, Splash? You want to bet, right? Let's do a take. So speaking of takes, if you haven't downloaded the Stadium app, our newest feature just released an hour ago. It's called Takes. Basically, it's a custom bet uh, with points. So on Stadium, you get points. You can put points on these takes. The take can be about anything. So Splash, make a take saying, I'm going to take Georgia at minus 6.5 over Alabama. Put splash, put 500 points on it. That's the max. I'm gonna put 500 and make it a, a quick one so we don't have too many people coming in. But takes just released, use stadium app. Uh, we'll have a way to cash in and cash out with that feature as well. Um, but yeah, splash, let's roll, bro. Uh, splash, what I'm not doing too good against you in betting this year. I don't know what's going on. Me and you and in, in, in our, our personal. Things I don't know. I, I think you got my number this year. It's about the first time in, in, in a while. But yeah, you still owe me that jersey from me saying Aaron Rodgers was going to start Week One. I have it. You have it. Where's the right jersey? Oh, I'm not wearing a Sam Darnold. <laughs> I have your jersey, dude. Nah, I, I got you on Splash. I'll send it to you. No, I got you on Splash. I got you one. A Daniel Jones jersey. Lev? Anyone but Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> not, not, not Lev. <laughs> oh. All right, well. Who's this Penguin dude? This guy's bugging out. He took shrooms a little bit too early on Saturday. Bro, you're supposed to take him before five. I mean, or he did take him before I five. I guess he was did. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess he did. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he did All take right. him before. Well, Frank, it was a pleasure. Unless you got anything else to get to, I think. 
he covered it all. That was a, a little bit of a crazy one. Thank you for everyone out there listening and watching. What's up, Penguin? Thank you for coming to the end. <laughs> Give a shout-out to Kenny, Chris, going in. Ryan, both Knicks, my dad, obviously, and anyone else who is listening. Uh, I'm Sonny. That's Frank. Watching on U Stadium. Hopefully we'll get snacks back up in here soon. But uh, otherwise, signing out, and hopefully uh, you'll be with us next Saturday. Hell yeah. Peace out, everyone in the chat.